everybody. Welcome into a special edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Check-In. Open online today at wintrust.com slash cubsweekly. For Andy Martinez, I'm Tony Andreacki here. And, and the reason why it's a special edition of the podcast is we have the World Series MVP, the 2016 World Series MVP to be specific on the podcast. Ben Zobrist here. Uh, it was an awesome interview. You guys will, will catch all of it from Cubs convention in 2024. But it was just really, really awesome. I think he, to me, was my number one podcast guest, especially after he retired, that I really wanted on. But Andy, what were you looking forward to talking most about Zoe with? I was definitely excited to talk to him about 2016 and just some more stories about that. Because I feel like every time you talk to a 2016 guy, you always get like one unearthed story, right? Yeah. And, and I think we got one in, in Zobris. But I think just given the timing of it, that it was fun to talk to him about Shoto Imanaga, just the recent Cubs signing at the time and, and getting to talk to him about the, the connection with 18. I thought that was going to be exciting from a, from a new perspective, just given his recency, but also clearly the lasting impact he had on the Chicago Cubs franchise. Yeah, for, for anybody who didn't happen to see Shota Imanaga, the Japanese pitcher the Cubs signed and introduced on Friday of Cubs convention, is chose number 18 to wear in the Cubs uniform because of Ben Zobrist. And he wants to have the type of impact that Zobrist had in the Cubs. I assume that meant that he wants to be the World Series MVP the next time the Cubs win. Right. I, I assume that's what Imanaga meant. But yeah, you know, a cool, cool story to hear from Zobrist's perspective was nice. But I'm with you, Andy, for sure. I think... Uh, just the 2016 stuff was what I was looking forward to. But also, it's like, this is the guy that got the hit that helped them win in the 10th inning. I really want to know, like, what was going through your mind? How much of it was a blur to you? It was a blur to me watching it and, and covering that game and remembering. Like, I I remember the hit. I don't remember really exact details of, like, what happened after. I've seen the highlights a bunch, him jumping into second. Rizzo going, oh, my God, it's standing on third, all that stuff. You know, Zobris jumping in, running in from left field. Like, I saw these things, but I'm, like, and clearly he has, but I wanted to get his perspective on, like, how much of it was a blur to you? And, like, what was that like to be living that moment, to be standing in the batter's box against Brian Shaw in the 10th inning, to get that big hit, the, the, you know, a guy who grew up in central Illinois and, like, knew plenty about the Cubs' curse and the, the, the long drought what was it like then the, the aftermath and the interactions with fans? And like, I just thought I, there were so many questions that I had. We honestly could have gone another hour and a half right. for sure. And I would have listened the entire time and like, you know, it would have been awesome. Um, but we'll, we'll see if this interview now with Zobris is about a half hour, great conversation with the, the World Series MVP. Hey everybody, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. I'm Tony Andraghi here joined by Andy Martinez and a super special guest, the 2016 World Series MVP, Ben Zobris. Ben, thanks for stopping by. Oh, thanks for having me guys. Excited to be here. So I know you're not new to podcasting. You have your own podcast, The Champion Forward. Can you just yeah, tell us yeah. and, and fans a little bit about what you guys are doing with that project? Yeah, Champion Forward is uh, for it's a nonprofit that we started for young athletes, parents, and coaches. It's really around uh, dealing with the performance pressure uh, on a regular basis. You know, we want to help young athletes, not just them, but their parents and coaches too, thrive both on and off the field with all the experiences of athletics at that age. You know, it's it's a tough world. Uh, of youth sports now or amateur sports in general just because of all the NIL and all the craziness that goes along with it. So we're trying to help address that um, for communities around all over the nation so far. What's it like for you being back here at Cubs convention and interacting with Cubs fans again? Yeah, you know, it's always fun. I, I feel like I get a little piece of this all year round. You know, from time to time, people will see me like, hey, you know, are you Ben Zobris? Because there are Cub fans everywhere. You know, that's the beauty of it. And then here it's just like a sea of blue. 
and you know it, just the, the pride of, of being one of the Chicago Cubs former players um, getting to come back and see other players the current ones also guys that you played with is it's definitely uh, gives me a sense of a full heart and, and really grateful for my time Cubs convention really got started yesterday with the signing of Shota Imanaga the yeah. pitcher I don't know how much you watched of his press conference but yeah. he talked about the reason why he chose number 18 was because of you if you haven't heard that story like what did that mean to you what, what does it mean to know that like you have a little bit of a legacy that's being carried on to, to today's current players well it, it does it means a lot um, the, the, what happened was a couple days ago I got a phone call from one of my agents uh, and same agency Shoda and they said hey Shoda wanted us to communicate to you that he he would really like to use number 18 but he wanted to let you know like you know, if, if I'm okay with it kind of a thing, I was like, of course. I mean, he doesn't have to get my okay, but he just had some really nice things to say. And I saw what he said at the press conference yesterday and just such an honor. I mean, from coming from an honor culture, like the Japanese culture, and for him to say that about me just, I think it means it means even more probably that, that he, he went out of his way and said that. So it was very kind of him to say that. How surprised were you to get that phone call? I was really surprised. I'm like, well, first of all, yay, yeah. you know, <laughs> great that he's signing. Uh, but second of all, just like, you know, it's not my number. It's it's the Cubs number. And so uh, but I've been blessed to be able to wear it and use it. And and uh, I'll always have the memories of wearing this jersey. And when I get to come back, I still get to wear it. So so I look forward to him doing great things on the field. Going, when, oh, go ahead, Andy. Uh, going back to your free agency process and coming to the Cubs in 2016, what was the process like for you, and what, what what did it mean when you were finally able to find a home and for it to be here in Chicago? Yeah, well, when the offseason started, I was coming off the World Series with Kansas City, and it was pretty crazy. I wanted to go visit a couple different teams, and, and thankfully I had some offers on the table right away. And sometimes it takes guys a lot longer in the offseason to really get all those offers lined up and figure out, who am I going to choose? But I also knew that that the, the Cubs offer wasn't fully an offer until they made some trades and potentially made room for me. And so I was visiting these other teams, knowing like my heart really wanted to be in Chicago. And uh, finally got the call that hey, we freed up a roster spot. We'd really love to bring you in at the deal that we talked about. And and I was like, it was a it was a slam dunk. Like no, I had no qualms about it. I was like, yes, I'm signing. Let's do this. So they flew me up here. To, to Chicago, went and did my my physical and stuff. And the crazy thing about the physical that people don't really know when you're doing those types of physicals is it's kind of nerve-wracking because they're checking any and everything to make sure that like you're fully capable of doing this. And I had some family history uh, with brain aneurysm, and so they wanted me to do an extra different brain MRI to make sure I didn't have an aneurysm just lying up there somewhere. Uh, so thankfully I didn't, but it was nerve-wracking because the doctor comes in and he's like, you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> it's like, you got to be kidding me. What? I was like, give me bad news. He's like, well, they didn't find much on the brain scan. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like good news. And he goes, he goes, would well, you want to know the good news? He's like, they didn't find anything on the brain scan. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Ugh. I've never heard of a contract being delayed because of a potential oh, yeah. brain aneurysm so, either. So no, yeah. no, no. It, it could happen, though. Right, you right, know? right. And, and so anyways, that was the process. Signing was just a dream come true here. And actually, the I live in Nashville, and that's where the, the convention was. It was right during the 
the baseball convention, the, the GM or the meetings, meetings and stuff yeah. like that, the winter meetings. So, yeah, it was really, really fun process. And then just hit the ground running with like, where am I going to live? How are things going to go? You know, and you're prepping your body too. And by the time spring training hits, you're just so excited to put that new jersey on and be with that new team. And to come into play for Joe Madden, who obviously yeah. you had a lot of experience with in Tampa Bay, but what did it mean to you? What did Joe mean to you personally? And, and just what was it like to play with for him for so many years in your career? Uh, well, I mean, he meant so much to me. He was probably my biggest advocate all throughout my career. Uh, put me in great positions to succeed. Uh, gave me amazing opportunities even early on in my career when I was still struggling with the bat, trying to figure out what kind of player I was in the major leagues. He was he was reminding me like you're going to be here for a long time. Uh, very good with young guys and, and helping you feel comfortable. So he was a big part of that. And so obviously when he came over to Chicago in 15 and I watched what the team had done, uh, he was a big part of me wanting to sign and come to Chicago as well. But knowing like this guy knows how to use me. He's gonna he, he's gonna if if we have a chance to win the World Series, Joe's Joe's gonna be a big part of of helping these young guys mesh and get them comfortable in a city like Chicago and. And, and sure enough, we hit the ground running that year. We all know how that, that 2016 season ended, obviously, but for you on a personal level, what did it mean to get to shoot up for your hometown team and, and to, to play at Wrigley Field every day? Yeah, well, when I first, oddly enough, and I've been honest and open about this, okay, I grew up a St. Louis Cardinal fan, and then I say this a lot, but I, I saw the light, you know, so <laughs> things turned around when I came to the Cubs, and Part of the reason what what drew me here too was as a visiting player when I visited Wrigley Field. I mean, it's just magical. Like it's just unlike any other place in baseball, uh, and the history here, and the city, and everything that goes with it. Uh, the fan base, every everybody, just it just felt like home. And I thought, you know, if I get a chance, like that's that's definitely going to be my choice. So ultimately, um, it all worked out. It all worked out for the best, no doubt. So obviously there's plenty of Game 7 talk, but before we get into that, that NLDS, that comeback that you guys had in San Francisco, you were a yeah. huge part of that ninth inning. Can you take us through a little bit about what you felt like at the team rallying and being able to beat the Giants? And then was there a part of it too that's like you guys don't want to face Johnny Cueto in a do-or-die game in Game 5 at Wrigley there? Yeah, we didn't want to face Johnny, that's for sure. He was really nasty and threw off our rhythm quite a bit. Uh, we didn't. We struggled winning that first game. You know, you know, I think it was Javi's home run, yeah. one nothing. Um, so we obviously didn't want to get there. But I think also that team just uh, late in that game, there was just there was a, there was a special feeling. You know, it's like we never quit. That we never quit feeling. We actually have that on the ring. It's it's right at the bottom here. You see that? Yeah. We never quit. We never quit. That was that was the the emblem. You know, because there was several times that year where we get late in the game. And uh, we, we'd come from behind or we'd find a way to uh, keep battling, keep it where it was, and then, and then overcome. So it, it's interesting that that's, that happened in that game. That was a big moment for that. And then obviously in game seven. Can you talk us through that uh, at-bat in the 10th inning? What's going through your head when you're coming up to, to the plate? Jeez. Well, I've been asked this many times. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I was so focused on what I knew I needed to do. I. I I didn't want to allow the moment or allow uh, what had happened right before me. You know, they, they walked Rizzo to get to me, yeah. which is the right call, by the way. <laughs> it is the right call. You always walk Anthony Rizzo if, if, if you know he has a chance to, to hurt you. And they were setting up a double play, right? So 
uh, I didn't want to allow my ego to get a hold of that. And I was just like, look, don't try to do too much. Shaw's really tough pitcher at the time. 98 miles an hour, nasty, hard to pick it up because of his funky delivery and all that kind of stuff. So I knew all these things going up there. And as I'm walking up, I'm just really focused on the, the one thing that I knew I needed to do. You know, I got to stay inside the ball, stay on the other side of the field and make sure I get a strike. And I knew I wanted to take a pitch, which that was probably the best pitch to hit, too. But if you know you, that's part of your plan, I knew I needed to do that, and that was just a big uh, – it was a relief when he gave me another one or two later in the account to, to do something with, you know. But he sure didn't give me much after that first pitch. Do you remember even running into second base then after that hit? Was it all just a blur for you? You know, when, when I hit the ball, I knew I, I hit it solid. But, you know, in that angle, I didn't get a lot of hits on that side of the field left-handed. But um, I knew if, if he was there and could backhand it, it was a double play because I hit it too hard for, for me to beat it out, you know. But thankfully, I saw the diving outstretched glove, and then it just zipped past it. And, I yeah, I, I really think I just blanked out. Everything right there was just – you know, muscle memory up until the time I got to second base, and then I'm realizing what happened. It was just uh, an incredible moment. Looking over Rizzo, looking at the bench, just the most adrenaline I could have probably ever had. Game sevens are always moments that, I mean, as a kid, you grew up in your backyard playing, I'm in game seven. Yeah. What's it like being in a game seven over World Series? How nervous are you at times? Like, what's, oh, talk man. through that it's, emotion. It's incredibly nerve wracking. Everything else uh, seems to pale in comparison to like that, that moment and what you need to be doing at that point in your life. I mean, I think it's enough to have 40, 50,000 people like in the stands watching, but knowing like this, the, the entire watching world of the, the baseball world is watching. And then also, especially you get to game seven and the Cubs haven't won in 108 years and all that thing. And we just knew that I think, uh, TV ratings and things like that, millions and millions of people all, all across the globe were watching and caring about that, knowing that Cub fans are everywhere too. We knew about all those things. And I think really what what exemplifies what kind of team this was though, was that for us as players, it, it, it came down to, could we focus and have each other's backs when it didn't look good? And that's like Jason Hayward refocused us in that rain delay brought us together and was like hey guys don't forget don't forget that this is we are the better team and this is you know we just need to we just need to do what we do we have each other's backs and he like I remember him turning to Chappie and being like we got you we got you Chappie at the time because you know Chapman was exhausted for all the all the the, the pitching he had done in that postseason up to that point and we were trying to stretch him for three innings in game seven after he had already been stretched out over and over again so, I mean, he felt bad, but I mean, this guy's Superman. And at some point, somebody needs to step up. And, and you know, I think we all felt like, like as a team, we could do that. So I know there are a ton of interactions you've had with Cubs fans since then, and many thanks, I'm sure, has been extended to you. But what is it like to hear that from alumni, from guys who unfortunately weren't able to be in the same position that you were, whether it's at convention here or whatever, and guys, you know, from like Fergie or Billy Williams, but also we, we talked to Brian McRae and Aramis Ramirez on the podcast recently, and they were talking about how much it meant to them to watch the team win in 16. Yeah. What have your interactions been like with fellow alumni about that? Man, well, I think, I think those guys, uh, they lay the groundwork, right, for the organization to be where it's at. And you think about all the years where 
you learn from your mistakes. I think the organization learns from the mistakes at times too. It goes, okay, let's not do that again. Let's do this. Let's try this. Let's try that. And uh, there always needs to be a little page turned um, and a tweak made. Every year there's always that. And the guys know what kind of grind it is, especially playing in Chicago with day games. I think the day games are really challenging for the body to deal with when you're going a lot of night games elsewhere and then you come back and day, day, night, day, things like that. There's a lot of respect that they deliver to us in that moment. And also, uh, especially the older guys, gratitude. Like they're like, man, we're so like that, that they, they got to be a part of it and witness it too, because it hadn't ever happened in Cubs history. For you on a personal level, you're, that was your back, uh, second World Series, back-to-back, obviously yeah, winning in 15. Yeah, what was it like to have back-to-back World Series with two two historic oh, World man. Series, really? It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, I didn't realize how World Series with Kansas City, The tra- I got traded, went to the World Series, uh, you know, had a baby, uh, you know, like did the off-season free agency, which was stressful in and of itself, trying to figure it out. Then you transition to a new city, new team. This thing hasn't been done for 108 years. Let's do it. And we hit the ground running. Like, there was no breather in there. And that's the guys that win the World Series now, I'm always like, man, I hope they take some time and just take a breather uh, and take a vacation and things like that. It was overwhelming, you know. And and I struggled for that offseason getting back to where I wanted to, to be by 17. You just mentioned the 108-year drought, yeah. right? Like, how much was that something that was in your head throughout the year or throughout that fall or something you talked with teammates about? Well, you know, I think it's in our heads at the beginning of the year. Uh, everybody thinks about it. But once you get going, every team is different, and you're like, whatever happened before, we're not worried about that. We're staying in the moment, staying present. What is this team going to do? What are we capable of? I think the only time it really occurred in my mind was when – uh, Rajay Davis hit that home run, <laughs> and I'm in left field, and, I, and he doesn't do that, you know. And game seven, nonetheless, and we're up, and it's such an important moment. And I'm playing left field, and I'm running, going, go foul, you know, hit the top of the wall, something, and it goes over. And I'm just that's the first time I turned to the sky and was like, is this thing real? <laughs> you know? um, and so, it, I, but besides that, we weren't really. I don't think many guys were thinking about it. During that 2016 season, too, a lot of videos went viral of you going to Wrigley Field, full uniform, <laughs> PF Flyers. Yeah. How did that kind of come about, and what made you decide to do it? You know, the thing about living, I lived a mile away from Wrigley, and the thing about living so close and just houses on the way to the field was you feel like a kid again. And I would pass by sometimes, like, recreational fields where kids are playing little league ball and stuff over the course of the summer. And it's just a special kind of feel. There's something special in the air when there's a Cub game that day and there's kids playing in the park and I'm riding my bike. I just like, I would rather ride my bike than drive my car to the field that day, you know, and stop and say hi to people or, you know, I just thought one time every year I need to just wear my full uniform, just like a kid going to the sandlot. Like I just need to wear my uniform and just go. And I did that and it just kind of, it's just a fun thing to do. It makes you feel like a kid again. You just mentioned living so close to Wrigley Field. What 
have interactions been like, or what were interactions like, I'm sorry, with Cubs fans, especially after winning the World Series? I remember a story of, like, I think you were signing autographs by your house for, like, hours outside after or something like that, right? Yeah, that was after the World Series because all year long, and this is how respectful people were, is, is like, early in the season I just was like, hey, I just want it. this is family time, be at home, and, and no one bothered us at all. And when all that took place we came back from cleveland and there were signs all over the yard and over the fence like congratulations like they were just so proud that that we helped win the world series and so i'm like you know what this is the time i need to open it up you know and so i just when when some kids came to the door to say hi or whatever i was like sign i'll sign whatever you want me to sign and that started and it just like continued <laughs> for an hour and two hours it took it took a while you know where we were signing and um, it was just a, a fun moment to connect. But, you know, even going to the grocery store near Wrigley, people are so respectful and also they want to take a picture or whatever. Like, I love that. It was overwhelming for a period there. But then now it's like, I'm like, please come say hi. Like, I yeah. forgot. You know, yeah. people forget that you did something with the team. But, but every time I come to Chicago, it's the same thing. Like, people are so honoring and, and grateful and I just, I'm like, man, this is my pleasure. Like, I got to be a part of that, too. What makes Wrigley Field, you talked about Wrigleyville and biking biking to the to the park. What makes Wrigley Field so special in your words? Well, it, one thing is history. I mean, you can't have, you, you, you can't overlook the amount of life that has taken a place around and inside that field. Uh, the way that the neighborhood has grown and changed and people that have lived and and you know lived and died with this team really legitimately and families just have passed it on over and over and over again there's so many amazing memories right there for so many people uh, fun and tor torturous memories for people right and I think when you have that kind of experience with a place it becomes somewhat sacred in your mind like you go back there to remember those things and you go back there to experience new things and and that place has been like a landmark for that and, and i hope they never ever tear it down or do anything like that that's like blasphemy probably to a cup fan keep it keep it going and i love what the ricketts have done with the whole area right because it just preserves it that much more and for that much longer um we hope we get to experience a lot more to come more more seasons of championships there too What's it like for you when you go back to Wrigley Field? I know you've been back a few times since. It's, I mean, it's where some of the most powerful memories I have were. You know, some of the, some of the most, uh, the, the greatest performances that I was a part of, whether it was me or teammates or guys on the other team, like you're watching things that you're going, wow. Like there was a, there was a regular wow that would cross my lips when I'm watching the game at times. And, and then... When you experience the wins, the, the walk-off home runs, and the things like that with guys on your team, and you celebrate together, and you toil together, and you, you know, you work really hard, that's the kind of stuff that that you can't. No matter whether you continue to do it or not later in your life, everybody retires at some point. But you always have those memories, and you have the chance to go back and remember how good it was. I do want to ask about a little, maybe lighthearted moment. Yeah. You got to pitch in an MLB game. That's <laughs> sure got to be really cool. But to strike out Yadier Molina in the process, what's that like? Oh, man. Uh, it feels That feels really good. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I mean, 
I mean, I, I was throwing below the hitting speed. For those people <laughs> that didn't see it, like, I'm not, like, blowing. Like, I, I, I pitched in college, but there were, I say this, there were kids, you know, born and were driving cars between the last <laughs> time I pitched on a mound competitively and pitching against Yachty. And uh, it was so much fun that they let me do that. And, and Joe was like, hey, have at it. Because he knew it was maybe my last innings, too. Uh, and the fact that I got a chance to end my major league career doing that, uh, pretty amazing. The only thing I regret is that I, I wish I would have known how to walk off the field as a pitcher instead of jog. <laughs> I was so used to running off the field, I even ran off yeah. the field as a pitcher. Uh, kind of another fun, lighthearted one. So in over 1,600 regular season games, you were only ejected one time. <laughs> oh. Do you remember the ejection? Oh of course what, I do. What, what happened? It was one time. Um, I'm not going to say the umpire's name. Okay. But uh, I was not liking some of his calls. <laughs> um, and, you know, we could, we could go down and look at the video and see exactly. We had overhead cams. We can see exactly where the ball is crossing the plate, up, down, in, out, things like that. And it was clear I was looking at the video like I was right. <laughs> you know, I'm not always right, but I was right about that. And I was telling him, look, this is what's going on. And he didn't want to hear that. And I, I think I may have said the words, this is why we want robot umpires. <laughs> I, I think that's what I uttered. And, and that was sure enough. I kind of knew going into, like, if I say this, I'm probably gone. The game was out of hand. I prepped Tommy LaStella, who was on the bench, going <laughs> to take my place. I was like, Tommy, get ready. You're going to probably go in right here. And then I, I said my piece. So, um, I once heard Dustin Pedroia, and I love Dustin Pedroia. I played against him for a number of years. Tons of respect for the type of player he is. I once heard him say, I can never respect a guy that never gets kicked out of a major league game. <laughs> so that was like sitting in your <laughs> yeah, head like, as you went out. Well, I got, I got to do it at some point. <laughs> you earned your stripes that day. Yeah, yeah, at some point. Um, all right, so last thing before we let you go, Ben. As you look back at your career, what's the one thing that you're most proud of that you would love to pass on to your kids or maybe grandkids or something someday? Oh, boy. Um, I think the one thing I'm most proud of would probably be um, I think it was the quiet moments in the in the batting cage when nobody was around where I I loved the craft and the competition of can I get my swing to do this consistently can I can I have this approach against this guy tomorrow or today? Uh, you know, doing the doing the minutia work, the, the 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 nuanced work of prepping for a game, and you know, like that was my creative moment. Like like a lot of guys, you know, you watch the way Javi Baez's body moved when I played with him is like it was amazing. Just the plays he would make it were ridiculous, and I was never that kind of guy. But I always felt like from the mental side of the game and the, the detail side of the game, like that was the way that I was creative. And that was the way that I, I think I took some of the gifts that I had and tried to make the most of it. And, and I, am, I am proud of that. And I do think that that was something that I was gifted with to a certain degree, but I continue to develop. And so when I talk to young guys now, it's like, hey, you got to know yourself. You got to know what, where you're gifted and, and how to continue to develop that. But then it comes down to like, are you, can you be creative with that? Can you can you make something of it? Can you can you get it detailed enough with that and to let it become a mastery of sorts or a craft that that you can at the end of the day 
put your stamp on and, and write your signature to and say that that was me as a ball player. And, and I, I am proud of the, the way that I did that. Well, Ben, thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate your time. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andrecki, Andy Martinez. And Andy, we just heard that interview with Zobris. It was awesome. I, I thought uh, it was as advertised for sure. But, like, what stood out to you? What was your favorite part from that convo? I think my favorite thing was him going into the story about signing autographs for fans and, and the line that kind of formed and how special that was to him, how, like, throughout the year everyone had been patient with him, right? And we're like, well, we're not going to we're not gonna bug you at home. Like, we'll, we'll let you do your thing. And then just after the World Series, he's like, Hey, come on by. Like, I'll sign autographs. I thought that was so cool because that's just so. First of all, like that's only a Cubs thing, right? Like where you're like in a, in the neighborhood and like you you have fans coming up to you. Like I think that's just such a rid, unique Wrigley thing. I thought that was really really cool from 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 Ben to do that and to to share that with the fans who had been waiting a lot of them years to 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 celebrate a moment like that. Yeah, that was cool. And one of my favorite things, too, was um, doing this at Cubs convention. We had a bunch of fans, you know, a few dozen people were behind us while we were conducting the interview. And I remember, like, as the podcast was wrapping, one of the fans was like, Ben, you hit me with a water balloon at the block party once. So, like, he must have lived close by. I didn't hear the end of the story, but, like, Zobris was laughing at that and stuff. And so um, I thought that was just a really cool thing that there were fans that were right there that were able to listen. It was, uh, I guess, one of our first live podcasts we've done of this, which is cool. Um, obviously, just being released now, but that was an awesome aspect. And, and yeah, that the fan the fan thing was really good. And like from to to live a mile away from Wrigley, to then also talk about why he rode his bike in full uniform, why he wanted to do that every year, and PF flyers in his full uniform, feel like a kid again going to Sandlot. It was just cool to like get inside his head about that, about a lot of stuff, about what 2016 was like. You know all these different things um so yeah awesome interview awesome guest and uh, definitely one of the the um you know premier interviews we got but we got a bunch of really awesome interviews from cubs alumni at the convention we have aramis ramirez we have guys from the 84 team like bobby dernier and jody davis we also had brian mccray you know leadoff hitter from the mid 90s so giovanni soto as well so we have a bunch of these interviews from the cubs convention that we'll be rolling out over the next month, month and a half or so. So stay tuned to the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks as always for listening and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app.